It's a tall order to say something now. <laughs> Three stories, all so different. It's amazing to see just how many different roads converge at this point. How many different ways that God leads people from where they are and who they are and what kind of background they've come from to this point of giving their lives wholly for Jesus. It is incredible. And there's such beauty in the way that the Holy Spirit works with us as an individual. You don't have to be like anybody else. You can be led by God just as you. And it's amazing. What these guys are about to do is incredibly uh, powerful. It is a symbol that speaks deeply to us. And when we go through the baptism preparation, we look at the significance of what baptism is. We, we spend a bit of time uh, pouring through the scriptures, sharing the word, kind of immersing ourselves in the word of God, looking at all the different ways that this, this concept is used in the scriptures and everything that it means. And there are kind of three dominant um, deep illustrations in baptism. One of them is washing and cleansing. There's something about when they go through the waters. But this is a picture of cleansing. It's a picture of our life being completely washed and renewed. And there's this wonderful moment in the book of Acts where Paul, the apostle Paul, um, who has been persecuting the church, he's been murdering uh, people who call themselves Christian. Uh, he's probably as close to ISIS as we can get. Well, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he's blinded by this incredible encounter, I'm not quite sure why or how, but he finds himself without his sight. And then God sends another guy, Ananias, to come and pray for him that he receive his sight. And Ananias says to Paul, now get up and be baptized, washing your sins away. And then there was this massive transformation in this guy, Paul's life, and it's Saul's life, and it became Paul, the apostle Paul. So there is this beautiful sense of a life being clean as they come through baptism, and I love that picture. Second thing is the public declaration element of it. There's something so public about doing this, about standing up in front of all you guys and bearing their souls, telling their stories, sharing some of the most intimate things that has happened in their lives publicly and saying, this is me. It's like nailing your colors to the mast. It's like saying, at this point in my life, this is the most important thing and from this point forward, I'm gonna live for the one who has loved me. That is an incredibly powerful thing to do. When you think about it, actually being dunked under the water in front of a bunch of people looking on, it's a bit of a strange thing to do. You know, we, we acknowledge that. Um, but it's also a very profound thing because we're making that declaration. Third thing, which has already been kind of alluded to in some of the stories, is identifying with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. The old life has gone and a new life has begun. Listen to this from Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's something about the old life, dying with Jesus, that 
is so powerful for each of us. We all have things and have had things in the past that have been unhealthy for us, things that have, have had a grip on our lives. We've heard about some of those things in the story uh, today already. But there's something about the way that we go through the waters of baptism. We ask God just to cut off, to throw off some of those things that really have a grip on us. And it sets us free. We're no longer slaves. We are free to live for Jesus. This one, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now that my old life has died with Jesus, I live for the one who loved me first and gave himself for me. I no longer live for sin and selfishness. I live for love in response to that love that first poured over me. I live a new life, a life of gratitude, a life of generosity, and it's begun in my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus described that as being born again. And you can see it, can't you? You can, the three people that have just said no, you can see that there is a holy new life that has begun in each of them. It's amazing. Now, the Bible tells a story of a rich young ruler who was attracted to Jesus and wanted to respond to this invitation from God. And you'll find it in Luke in chapter 18 and from verse 18 onwards if you want to follow this in your Bibles. It says this, this young ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Provoking the guy to confess who he believed Jesus to be, I believe. Jesus said, You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not lie. Honour your father and mother. And he said, All of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. That's sad. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard him say this said, What? Who then can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And I love this. Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. I love the disciples. They're brilliant. Usually, when the disciples get full of themselves like this, Jesus rebukes them, but not this time. This time he says to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has gone without a home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. He doesn't mock them. 
doesn't mock the disciples for saying them. He acknowledges that his followers have left a lot behind, their livelihoods, their place in society. And he says, I see that. And with a twinkle in his eye, he says, you won't regret it. You really won't regret it. So just come back to this rich young ruler for a minute. And I want to just play with the story just for a little while. And just imagine that this rich young ruler who was attracted to Jesus, who loved him, who, who saw that there was profound words he had to say that might have an impact on his life. He'd been following him for a little while. And just imagine that that rich young ruler had gone home and done what Jesus had sent to do. Rather than going away sad, imagine that he, he was so attracted to Jesus that he said, you know what? I want that more than anything else. Imagine he went home and got his best lawyer, which I'm sure he had because he was a rich young ruler, and worked out a way to sell off all his corporations, all his property, everything that he was involved with, and in some incredible way, because solicitors don't usually work that fast, uh, he managed to do it in two weeks. <laughs> two weeks later, he had hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of cash on the head. And he went around all the places that he knew needed their cash most the orphanage in the next village, the leper colony down the road, whatever it was in that day. Poor farming communities where the crops had failed and people were suffering. And he just dished out all of that wealth and just watched as people's plights were completely changed in that area of Palestine. Just imagine that. And then imagine, once he's given away his last dime, imagine him just heading out on the road, trying to follow this strange rabble of Jesus followers that has captivated his mind so. Uh, and he catches up with them somewhere in the middle of the countryside in Israel. And imagine that first night when he sat around the fire with them, having just eaten a very simple meal. And he's just sitting there as dusk falls, just reflecting on what he has just done. He's thinking, how am I feeling right now? And for the first time in his life, he experiences contentment. He knows that riches didn't make him happy. Yet here with Jesus, for the first time, he feels that he has all he could want or need. That is genuinely enough. He's happy. He's surprised by this feeling that he is completely happy. He acknowledges a sense of fulfillment. He's already made a difference to the poor. Perhaps that's my destiny fulfilled, he thinks. Peace. There's peace in there. He's no longer managing the stress of running corporations. His inner world has become deliciously quiet. Love and belonging, that's in there too. He's struck up a friendship with God. Or was it the other way around? But somehow he knows deep in his spirit that he's become part of God's family. And he's never felt more at home. And even though he thinks to himself, this is enough for me. I could die right now, a happy man. There is also a profound sense of hope and adventure in his heart. Like he's at the beginning of an extraordinary journey. An excitement in his spirit. He now feels that there is just so much to live for. All of that, all together, all at the same time. How can that be? But there it is. 
Wouldn't that be a great end to the story? Thankfully, that is the story of most people in this room. That's my story. That's the song of my life. I may not have had as much to give up at the beginning as this guy would have had. But that's certainly the story of what happened when I laid my life down and gave it to Jesus Christ. I let go of all and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Is that your story? Is that your story? This is what Jesus meant when he said, Whoever exists to save their life will lose it. But whoever lets go of their life for my sake will find it. Real, abundant life. He said that narrow is the path that leads to life and too few people find it. So true. So when one person finds it, or three in this case, those of us, of us who are part of this family of God have to celebrate, amen? Preach it, Pastor. I'll encourage myself. Amen? Amen! Yeah. When people find Christ in this profound way, we have to celebrate. And today we are witnessing the miracle of human beings who have been transformed by the love and the grace of God. And we're standing with them as they do nail their colors to their masks, proclaiming to the world that they are followers of Jesus Christ.